whispered echoes out of Blood by the Chronicles, Book 2, Blood and Water. Lost in a daydream, as if a million miles from a looming trouble, Kelly takes in the scenery as she relaxes in a luxury train. Deeply pleased with her split-minute decision to embark on her current travels, the flapper smiles to herself, happy with the new day, as well as the small but satisfying lunch she's about to enjoy. Directly in front of the flapper is one of her favorite male permos, Diego Monteo, ruggedly handsome and stacked in all the right places. The Colombian immigrant has an exquisite tongue and hip skills in between satin and silk sheets. Kelly relaxes as a cup of Earl Grey graces her perfectly heart-shaped painted pout, staring directly at the Belladonna's as he leans back into a plush scarlet velvet dining chair. Smiling, the amorous flapper glances all around, seeing a rail car saturated with rich scarlet pope red. The signature color of the train's first-class accommodations, the brazen hue is seen on everything in sight, given the luxury car sensatiously rich atmosphere. As if peeling her clothes from her body with one blink at a time, Kelly blushes under Diego's intense stare as his deep brown eyes seem to look through the flapper's skin right into what makes her a woman. Uninhibited and in a constant flirt, the sexy brute does not speak much English, blowing his benefactor a kiss as other first-class patrons take look on with disgust. They all seem bothered by the young man's dark brown skin, much close to their much too close to their deep south <clears throat> perceived notions of grandeur. But Kelly doesn't care. Each passenger, women of their day, per women in their day pearls, fancy frocks and furs, menfolk staring, silent daggers of disapproval, and the fine Italian suits made by other brown skin hands far away, they all know to keep their mouths shut. One word from Kelly to the right car to the right ear could mean disaster for each one of them, maybe even death. So you like the train? Do you you understand me, Diego? Don't you? Kelly purrs to her current poor toy. Diego suddenly looks befuddled, not knowing what to say. Dashing playboy goes with his old standby. See, si, senorita. See, si, the hunk says meekly. The socialite smiles gently, gesturing around to the grandeur that surrounds her. You like? Diego understands, nodding his head with bright eyes. Y yes, see. Si. He smiles brightly. A smile that instantly melts the warms the flapper's warm heart. Kelly met the young man while working as a, while he worked as a landscaper for her in South Carolina. His boss was Mitch Grunt Grumman, a nice enough white man. Hard-working, a sweet smile with even better manners in front of a woman. One day, while, while having tea with Sally Mae, the steely-eyed socialite in her best summer linen pants pantsuit, of course, both women spied the hard-working Diego. At first, Kelly tried not to look, especially since Sally was watching with her ever-judgmental but understanding eyes. But as tea turned into cocktail hour on the veranda, both women ooped the young man's beauty. And beautiful he was and is. It was rather hot that day, and hot enough to make crocodiles cry and lift hide in the shade for fear of frying like eggs and butter. Under the hot beaming summer sun, Diego radiated pure sex and brutal strength. 
You look like a living, breathing statue, with his muscles glistening, rippling with each hard-working, strained flex. Both women found themselves sighing rather deeply, and not because of the heat. Later, Mr. Grumman and his men were given money for their daily toils, as well as cold sweet tea and two apple pies from Hilda's kitchen. That's when Kelly suddenly grabbed Diego's arm. It was a brazen move, especially in front of other men. Secretly wishing it was his arm Kelly had grabbed, Mr. Grumman simply nodded with a smile as the other Latino workers grinned from ear to ear. Kelly then had the young landscaper bathe twice, of course, dressing him in a nice pair of slacks and a button-up shirt, keeping him bare feet, and she then fed him. Lovemaking was not on the flapper's mind that night. Diego simply held her close all night long. His strong embrace was all that Kelly needed, because she missed Slick ever so much. It's been two years. The young Latin heartthrob is now a well-kept secret among society women. A true gigolo cares deeply for his sugar. Though kind and loving in all ways that are pleasant the most sensitive of hearts, Diego is a true lover indeed. He's a man whose sugar mamas, especially Kellyanne, the first white woman to introduce him to society as a kept delight, meant to be shared. Now dressed in the finest the world has to offer, his raven black hair cut into a shoulder-length shag like her beloved slits. The former laborer is the toast of the world, with grand women at his beck and call as far away as Australia. Looking away, hearing Sally come down the train aisle, knowing this by the added murmurs of disapproving voices, Kelly beams up to her spirit sister. Sleep good, Machete? she asks. Like a baby with like a baby with a mama on a mama's titty, Sally beams. Suddenly, the young assistant glares around the opulent cars, hats, and bottle blonde hairdos dip out of sight. This makes the chest chestnut skin dame chuckle. <laughs> Kelly, these white folks go gon' tear your heart. You got two colored people traveling with you, girl. Sally snickers. Diego doesn't understand. Just grinning. The blonde flapper sips her tea with the smallest of grins. <laughs> Let them try. I'll see to it that their children's children's on a soup line, Kelly says defiantly, hearing the murmurs instantly die down. Truth be told, the train Kelly and her traveling companions are enjoying is a new conglomerate investing, investing in the new, newly invoked travel style of the railway. The flapper's first husband, one of which mysteriously died and left Kelly all his worldly possessions and millions, his family had had stock in the company. Stock Kelly bought as well as adding more to it. Fifty percent more. So in all honesty, the train car Kelly is enjoying her tea, listening to Sally gossip and play footsies with Diego. It all belongs to her. Bright-eyed and making the Latin hunk across the cross of them wriggle like a little boy, Sally suddenly remembers happy news. I just got a telegraph from the boys. They made it to New Orleans quite fine indeed, love mama. Buford traveled with them. Sure enough, as you said he would, Sally chimes in, noticing the table fumble slightly. The studious assistant looks under the table, seeing Kelly's size six stocking feet disappear into uh, Diego's unzipped fly. Shaking her head with a chuckle, the assistant smirks. <laughs> you old nasty heifer. I'm going to tell Slick about this, she chuckles. 
not missing a beat as Diego moans ever so slightly. Kelly chuckles. Tell him. I'm sure he'll want to hear all the specifics. You know how our relationship is. My man is my man. But my love is my love. But other skin is my skin too, baby. Sally scoffs at the retort, rubbing her belly, which is getting bigger by the day. Scooting close to Kellyanne, the assistant places her hand on, on, under the table on her boss's knee. Taking the hand, the flapper places her feet back on the carpeted floor. Kelly will have to behave herself, at least for now. Smiling, the socialite looks to her spirit sister's belly, rubbing it gently herself. I'm so happy, hun. You're going to be real family now. Sally laughs. What do you mean now, crazy lady? I've been taking care of you hand and damn foot for a few years now. <laughs> Not only that, I know all the bodies you've buried. Hell, I done buried them myself. I've been a part of this family from day one. Taking care of Slick and Benjamin while watching over you. I'm a part of this family because I earned it. Kelly snickers at a, a bit at Sally's observations. Watching as a pregnant, pregnant lady leans back with a gentle sigh. <sighs> Not a day of mourning sickness. My baby is going to be a blessing to the world. He already is a blessing to me. Hmm. You know it's a he, hon. Kelly asks, sipping tea. How? Because I asked our fortune teller. And she said it was a baby boy. I'm going to have a little man to play with little Slick Jr. for sure. Sally Ann beams. Sally Mae beams. Kelly looks away with a gentle nod. She misses her own little boy terribly. Skirting the painful emotional longing for her own little wee one, the socialite smiles rather politely. When he gets up some age, <laughs> you're going to have to send him away. Our lives are so are much too dangerous right now, Sally. Much too dangerous for tykes. Sally shakes her head as she peers lovingly at her growing belly. Inside is a joy the young woman has never known. Part of a legacy of love that belongs just to her. No one is going to take that away from her, ever. Mm, pish posh. I'm not you, Kellyanne. I ain't sending my baby away because things get sticky around the way for us. When I leave this here world, my baby is coming with me. He's coming with his mama. End of discussion, Sally says curtly. Kelly sips her tea, understanding her friend's point, though rather melodramatic. Looking over as Sally Mae continues to rub her belly, the socialite drops the subject right as Diego's unseen hand makes it under her dress. Kelly playfully swipes the sexy devil away right as Sally snickers. He understand English even a little bit? Sally asks. Few words, not much. Kelly snides, blowing a kiss at the Latin hunk. He any good in bed? Sally asks with a chuckle. Kelly looks mildly shocked at the question. Why, you want some? She grins. Hell no, and now to the goddamn hell. <laughs> I don't want your sloppy seconds. Sally grins. Mm. Listen, he got a big, you know what, you know, thang thang. The assistant whispers over. Kelly snickers as Diego eats a grapefruit, oblivious to the fact that he's about to become the center of some very heated conversation. 
All the warm-hearted young Adonis does is smile, wiping his full lips with the back of his well-tailored shirt. Kelly Snickers whispering over. Does he? Not as big as Slicks, though. Nobody's big as Slick. The flapper grins as Kelly cuts in, throwing a grape at Diego playfully. The assistant smirks. <laughs> Except for maybe his black brother. <laughs> Child, I love me some Ben. Oh, I love that man. She snickers. Kelly laughs out loud at the comment. Right. As handsome as Benjamin is, she has never seen him as anything but a brother-in-law. She can't even imagine such a thing. But he is perfect. Diego, that is. But it's his tongue. Mm. Oh, I love it, honey. The flapper purrs, making Sally gently chuckle. <laughs> Hun, when I sit down on his face, it's like I've entered heaven bare feet, walking on rose petals. Oh, good sweet goddess, it's a sublime experience, she sighs. Sweet Lord, that man can work his mouth like none other. Sally the flapper moves even closer to her spirit sister, cheek to cheek, heart to heart. Hun, I swear to you, last night I came about five times in just as many minutes. Sally gives Kelly a cynical eye, covering her mouth as she laughs slightly. <laughs> oh my God, you gotta be so damn dramatic. And stop taking the Lord's name in vain. Kelly snickers as both women smile to Diego. The hunt grins like a beautiful, like the beautiful man he is. Mm. Well, I'm not saying anything the good Lord don't know already. Hell, I called, I called him in tongues last night so many times. He should know my name, Kelly Snickers. As both women watch, the Latin lover takes a grapefruit half to his sultry full lips, quickly flicking his thick tongue back and forth repeatedly, fast like a little hummingbird wing. A wealthy, nosy neighbor sitting across the aisle notices the sensual display, shaking her head in pure disgust. Noticing the affront, the girls snicker like two sisters telling each other secrets as Kelly motions for Diego to stop. Must keep up some type of proper decorum, especially in public. Suddenly the girls hear word that Kelly has that has Kelly to look across the way. The older woman has just called Diego a mongrel. Relaxing, Kelly lets it slide. Besides, the Latin lover can't even understand the insult, smiling as if, as if an innocent, playful virgin. The flapper says nothing, rolling her eyes at the salt and pepper, pepper-haired bigot. Curious, Kelly's eyes fall to the older man beside the woman, watching as the gentleman whom has the woman's, who has to be the woman's husband, stare at Diego in the most curious of ways especially at the young man's thighs and his bulge. The flapper laughs, softly nudging Sally, who looks over. Girl, he wants your man, she grins. Both women juggle as the older man notices their glances, quickly looking back to his afternoon newsprint of doom and gloom. It takes all kinds of folks to make the world go around beautifully. Listen, so we gonna be in New Orleans in two days, Sally asks. Is a house set up? What are you gonna do? Kelly laughs as she rolls her eyes. Look pretty and slap the hell out of your baby daddy. Miffed, Kelly has every right to be mad at Benjamin. Everyone wants to head down to her family home in, in New Orleans together. 
Sally would have had time to be with Benjamin, hopefully ironing out a plan for their new baby, and Slick would have had some sweetums time with her. Uh, that is, until Benjamin opened his big mouth, reminding Slick that they had still had some more investigations to do about the stolen land deeds, much of which Kelly has now hired professional investigators for. Not because she feels the boys are in over their heads. Sally knows, Sally knows trained professionals will only make their job easier. Weaving through years and years of Southern legacy and tradition, even with skill sleuths looking into missing land claims as well as Myrtle's murder, a fact the flapper recently found out from one of her hired private eyes, Kelly hopes for some relaxing time together with her beloved husband. That damn Benjamin, I'm gonna slap the taste out of his mouth when I see him. I miss Slick. Sally snickers into a glass of mineral water. Hush up, Kelly Ann. You know your husband and my man. They want to do things they way. The assistant smiles. They don't trust anybody, especially not in this situation. This is the first for them, sister girl. Sally smiles. Imagine our men, Ben and Slick, about as sharp as the blades in their pockets. They want a chance to prove them, prove to the world that they're more than hired goons. Kelly, give him that chance, little mama. The assistant pleads to her boss. Smiling at the down-home common sense, Kelly leans on her spirit sister's shoulder, one that's always been there for her. And for that, she is grateful. Well, I guess you're right. Cutting a piece of pecan pie for a second, Sally looks to her friend, eyeing the flapper expectantly. And... What about your private, what's your private? I find out, because you look, you haven't told me anything. Looking over at her paramour as he has a light afternoon doze into supple velvet cushions, Kelly collects her thoughts. There is so much to be related indeed. Just a few days ago, while looking over what Sally had packed for the New Orleans townhouse, an investigator arrived with more leads. Over tea and pastries, the socialite learned that Beck Myrtle's murder was the last of a string of murders of which the boys may know nothing about, to say the least. The hefty body broad was killed not only for the information she knew, but who she told it to. Myrtle was also murdered because Myrtle was the last connection to a, to a wealthy family out of Alabama, circumstances someone is trying to keep hidden by any means necessary. You see, the Bilfords is a family that is wealthy beyond wealthy with money that spans all over the globe. It sometimes, ha it sometimes happens. Forbidden fruit is made only sweeter because of societal expectations. That being said, one of their three very wealthy sons had taken a liking to a down-and-out prostitute. The hapless woman was Tina Brickhouse Fay, a friend to Big Myrtle, who she, who was, who she even sponsored, cleaning the young beauty up saving her from the streets, finally sending her to Miss Lolly's brothel. A heaven for women in the illicit trade, of course. Before the young woman was to become the skin-hustless southern royalty, tending to the needs of the super-rich and their ever-tedious libidos, she curiously gave birth to a baby boy, a bona fide Bilford heir. And that was not half the scandal. The son that fathered the child, Henry Bilford, actually bought Tina off, taking his son back to Bilford Manor with a strut full of pride and arrogance. Needing a lie to explain away the beautiful little boy, 
Henry told his mother that the child was the product of a union between Susan George, another wealthy socialite he was seeing off and on. Henry and his son's birth mother, even under ever-growing watchful eyes and wagging fingers, still sought out each other from time to time. They even thought about marriage. That is, until Susan disappeared suddenly a year ago. Poof. Like a smoke on, on a windy day. Not a hair has been seen of the woman, and no one was looking for the reclusive bookish heiress since her parents died in Cairo of yellow fever. Everyone just thought the young globetrotter, Susan George, that is, was studying to, to, was studying to be an archaeologist, one of the first women to do so. Everyone thought she was just in some faraway or some faraway historical dig, probably on the dime of her parents' incredibly wealthy estate. What no one knew is that the remains of a young woman was found close to Columbia, South Carolina, just five months ago. In Kelly's private eyes suspects the skeletal remains to be none other than Susan George. If that's not bad enough, Miss Faye turned up missing as well, the prostitute. This brought on a lawsuit, Lolly nearly suing the police force for not protecting her girl better. Learning all of this, still needing specifics, Kelly's investigators got the go-ahead to bribe and strong-arm and strong-arm as much as they pleased, including a few country sheriffs. That is when the determined flapper found out that Tina's remains were found in Shawneck's swamp, the same swamp where Miss George's earthly remains were found. In fact, according to Kelly's head dick, the bodies were just yards away, each decomposing as nature intended. Sadly, Miss Lolly was right. The police cared nothing about the hapless victims, eventually lumping the murders as two of the 12 girls thought to be, thought to be prostitutes. Their murders written about in every rag meant for print all across the South. Strangely, Miss George was not, was not officially identified by any relatives as of yet, if she ever will be. Her remains are still in Columbia in a box on some shelf collecting dust, another story of greed and convenience. Since the late Miss George's shady cousin is an executive of the $20 million estate, at least until the young student is located alive, though she is not, he has lived high off the hall. Malicious and about as crooked as backwoods dirt road, the scheming ingrate knows all full well. If George is found dead, the bulk of his ill-gotten gains will go to charity, as written in the official will. Kelly's detective is trying to change the core of his mind on releasing more information, but the medical professional, nearly ready to retire after serving Columbia for over 50 years, is about as stubborn as a drunk mule. Kelly relays what she's learned to Sally, watching as her spirit sister's mouth gapes wide open, shocked to boot. Oh my lord, girl, you think that rich boy that killed both Myrtle and Susan? Sally gasped. Gab, go on and hush your mouth, little mama. Kelly moves closer, as if the luxuriously wallpapered walls can hear. Lord, sweet Jesus, it would look like it. His whereabouts, the sun that appears out of no damn where, and you know my dick had the, had the bodies smuggled over overnight to another corner. One of his buddies, when he was a cop, and guess what they found out, Sally Mae. Sally nods with heated anticipation, numbly nibbling on another slice of pecan pie. That gal ain't never gave birth to no damn child, Susan that is. 
<laughs> you can see that plain as day in our pelvis bone formation. Women that have children, their pelvic bones are slightly different. Kelly whispers, nibbling a piece of pie crust from Sally's plate. Sally sits back as her quick mind moves fast. She looks to her friend, seeing an expression she knows all too well. You don't think he did it, do you? Kelly nods with a closed whisper. If I was a betting woman, and you know I am the mama, my money would be on that damn cousin. What's his name anyway? You know these people. Sally looks over. Melvin Hunt. Melvin Huddle. The assistant is not convinced, rubbing her belly. Mm-mm. Nope. Both girls? Mm-mm. Kelly, you've been smoking that opium again. She softly chuckles, lowering her voice. Kelly leans back to think. It was very hard getting the estate tidbit, the information, that is. A lot of that was left out by the lowly lawmen, and, and or so the wealthy actually think. The flapper's dick had to pay off several people, then had to wait at least four weeks to see official see the official will, of which he could only look at in the in the uh, in the precinct. The detective wasn't even allowed to touch the document. I don't trust him, Kelly snides. That poor woman, all alone in the world with those with that damn vulture looking over her shoulders. Her murder is just too damn convenient for me, the blonde whispers. Quickly, this smart flapper sits straight up, remembering a fact just told to her a few days ago. Henry Bilford's folks have a provision in their will as well. I just thought of this. You know they thought he was a queer, Kelly laments. Sally looks over, shocked even more so, almost reading her friend's mind. And if he has an heir, he gets more money, she whispers. Kelly nods as she leans back. He has motive, damn it. He has motive, and you know it, and I know it. Sally looks on and she was shaking her head. No, not Henry. Not Henry. The assistant knows of Henry Bilfer from the past association, a young man with a sweet way about him. Always kind and about as handsome as any silent screen star in the 1920s, the young man almost had Sally drop her panties once. He's fine, too. For a white boy, he sure is. <laughs> and he didn't mind him a little chocolate, either. Lord, Kelly, you really think he's a killer? Kelly shakes her head. Correction, a habitual murderer. He may have killed three women, hon. Sally sits back in her seat. If she wasn't sitting down, a feather would knock her to her knees right about now. Okay, okay. You think you killed Susan George? I'll give you that. Then you're going to pin the murder of Faye on him as well. That, that's two women, Kelly Bumblebee. Thinking a mile a second, Sally's eyes get wide, glancing over to those of blue, just as smart as she. Damn it, Gail. Lord, sweet Jesus, on the main line. Oh, no. You think he killed Big Myrtle, too? Listen, uh-uh, uh-uh, we're not going there. We don't know that for sure, and you don't know that for sure, now do you? Hmm. Sound like a job, sound like a job you'd pay for a professional, if you ask me. Kelly grows close as Sally leans in. The prostitute had his baby, Brickhouse Faye, that is, found dead six months ago. 
George found dead one year ago. Yards from each other, and let's not forget that. And, and this is going to send a chill up your spine, little mama. My dick said that they were cut up the same way. George's earthly skin and soft vitals was, that were since decomposed, but the bones, they had a cut pattern along the left ribs. The flapper whispers. The rib cage was opened, and two shin legs were broken, as if someone had taken a sledgehammer to them. Sally shocked, eyes wide with fear. And the same with Faye, too, wasn't it? Kelly relaxes with a single nod. Exactly, love. Exactly. My dick also told me this tidbit. Miss Lolly tried to cover up the fact that Faye was missing by saying that the woman had left employment, left her employment of her fine establishment. Of course, we all know different now. Hmm. And now you know too, the flapper says with a tip, with a tap at the tip of her nose. Sally doing the same. Sally thinks, looking, looking to Kelly as the socialite cuts into a buttery bunt cake, handing her a slice. You think she was paid to lie, don't you? But by who, gal? Kelly pinches off a, pe- a bite of the white cake, nibbling as she pleases, thinking. <sighs> Think. Is water wet? I just need to find out who paid her. And my dick needs to find that out. We find that out, we're going to know for sure. Sally nibbles her cake with a thoughtful upward glance. Uh, both women are thinking of one woman. You know what? Get Patty to spy on her. For the right price, she'll do this just that. Trust me. Kelly shakes her head with a scowl. Oh, hell no. Bad enough Slick got a crush on that cow. Get her involved and she's gonna she's gonna be expected to be paid in full, she whispers. A couple across the way looking over with a smile. Sally shrugs, enjoying the light cake, perfect for her tummy. Why, pay the heifer, she grins with a rather loud lip smack. Not that kind of pay, hon. She's going to want me want to be a part of my small circle, a price I'm not willing to pay. Sally laughs at the comment, sipping a hot coffee just brought over. Gals, some of your main coon cats are killers. You remember our luncheon? Shit. Every woman who was there in attendance had blood on their hands. And, child, they all murderers. Kelly nods as she gives Sally a sarcastic smile. I know. And by the way, welcome to the club, sister. The assistant sits back. <laughs> that, hell, that was self-defense, she whispers. Sally Kelly blurts out a loud laugh, lowering her voice as other passengers look over. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness self-defense really she grins what was she gonna kill you with a goddamn teacup Sally rolls her eyes Vanessa was giving me the look of death I handled that bought that bitch like a boss woman mm. get my poor uncle hung she better be glad she's in hell I'll dig her ass back up and kick her right back down for a few uncomfortable moments, the women are silent, both knowing that the incident, Sally, that the incident was Sally's first murder, her circumstance never to be taken lightly. Why do all, why do you, why do you all of you sudden care about my, about a hoe's reputation? 
give her a temporary seat on our table of, of fine ladies. And she has she has ears on the streets, Kellyanne. We need all we can get. We need patty cakes. Let her become a part of the social the social group. Our men folks ain't damn Wall Street stockbrokers, and we can't always depend on them, nor their heavies for protection all the damn time. Patty Cakes knows a lot of information of the underworld. She could help us, gal. Santa looks over, a real genuine fear in her warm eyes. We need to look out for ourselves, little mama. More eyes on the streets, building our own underworld networks. You know, like the boys. I have my own underworld network, Kelly comments, rolling her eyes. Sally sits back, pleased as sunshine for the goodies in her tummy, as well as her baby. Kelly, my sweet Kelly, your network is full of white folks that pride themselves on walking on the other side of the railroad tracks, being friends with the coloreds and poor white, poor white trash. They relish in it. This has become their mission, not to be as hateful and as empty as a mama's and daddy's. I'm talking real underworld connections, gal. Sailor looks over to her best friend, she, to the best friend she's ever had. But they're still in the damn bubble. They're still rich white folks. A world I can truly be a part of. No matter how, a world I can be a part of, no matter how you try to include me. Killer looks away, suddenly sad. We need real niggas. White men, colored men that have blood on their hands, that have eaten from the good dark earth, grit and all. The assistant says, We need men and women, folk like the boys, the men we love and adore. Hell, we need a goddamn army. And only then will we truly be safe when the boys are away. And I got a feeling they're gonna be away more and more. And you know what I'm saying is true. We can't always be under their wing, Kelly. Kelly nods slowly. She understands her soon-to-be sister Laura's argument, but having Patty in her inner circle of friends, knowing Slick is sliding up in between the bodacious skin worker whenever he feels like it, it's a little too much, even for a sexually adventurous flapper. Sally looks over, watching as Kelly fidgets with a diamond bangle. She understands as well. Listen, don't worry. She'll give up the info. She wants to take Miss Lolly's place any damn ways. I heard this from Benjamin. Slick told him. Kelly nods gently as she looks out the train windows. The world rushes by, rethinking plans and questions for when the prostitute comes through. Leaning over, Sally settles her head on her friend's shoulder. You think Lolly knows way more than what she's been saying, don't you? The flapper nods as her mind floats a million miles away. There is much more to this story, and the girls mean to find it out. <laughs>